Are you looking for something different to entertain your kids? Check out a new podcast for children. Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, is a weekly show full of time travel puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. Math is geared towards kids six and up, but can be enjoyed by the entire family. I love how the episodes are under 20 minutes, which was perfect for our drive to school. And my four-year-old really loved the episode, The Pirate Queen. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras' ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and so much more. New episodes drop every Thursday, and I love how engaging, funny, and educational the episodes are. Your kids won't even realize they're learning about math and problem solving. My son even said he wanted to finish the episode on our drive home from school. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to this episode in honor of autism acceptance. I had released four episodes today. I wanted to gain a perspective about autism from many different people. So on this episode, I'm welcoming Lori. Lori is an adult who was diagnosed with autism later in life, and we're going to be discussing her experience with the diagnosis and what it's meant for her life. Thank you so much for joining me today, Lori. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm really glad that we're connecting because I had asked on my Instagram if anyone would be willing to come on. I take care of a lot of autistic children, but I have never really talked to an autistic adult. Um, and that is something that was really lacking in my education and acceptance of autism. So I'm really glad that you were able to come on. Uh, so I really appreciate you taking the time today. Yeah, I'm, I'm so happy to be here. I do want to make sure that I say that, you know, I don't speak for all autistic people, all autistic adults. And, you know, the autism community is a super vibrant community. Um, and I was diagnosed uh, three and a half years ago. So it's all sort of new to me too, but I'm also really enthusiastic about it. And I'm excited to talk about it because it is who I am. And so, yeah, I'm just excited to get to share that. And that's a great point because, you know, part of this is that we can't get the perspective of every single autistic adult, right? So I really appreciate you saying that because I even talked about that on my YouTube video. Like we're, everyone is different. Every neuroatypical, neurotypical person is different. So this is just a perspective of one person. And I so appreciate you clarifying that. Yeah. So what prompted you to get evaluated and ultimately diagnosed, right? So you obviously said about three and a half years ago. Yeah. So I was 29 when I kind of sought help for this. But previously, I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety when I was 18. I would say I struggled with myself for most of my life, to be honest. And I always sort of felt like I was on the outside looking in. It was only when I was 29 that I started to really say, hold on, like, could I could I have autism? And honestly, I kind of thought that's what it was. But it took me a while to kind of face it and then try to get some help with accepting it and understanding it. I am a high school teacher. I taught for nine years. And 
I was always very good with my students. And I should clarify, I just had a baby in September, so I'm taking some time off. So I'm not currently working. But when I worked as a teacher, I did very well with my students. Um, I love them. I think teenagers are hilarious. Teenagers really like honesty. And it turns out if you're autistic, you're super honest. So we got along really well. I struggled at work, though, with my coworkers. And because I was good with the teenagers and good with the job of actually teaching, I got more and more responsibilities. So every year I'd have to do some other leadership role or, you know, volunteer to teach adults something I was working on. And it was all awesome and great until it wasn't. And um, it sort of all came crashing down on me. And when I went to therapy and I commented to my therapist, like, I can't handle this anymore. She said, it's like, I spent my whole life creating these coping skills for myself. And it's something called masking. It's pretty common in the autism community. And it's particularly prevalent amongst autistic women. You know, women are not diagnosed with autism at nearly the same rates as men. And the thinking is not that women don't have autism. It's just that women have been socialized to fit in, to, you know... Oh, we have all those pressures. And so my therapist said, you know, you had these great coping skills and they worked until they didn't. <laughs> and she said, that's sort of what happens with women with autism is that they hit a point as an adult where it's like you hit a wall and I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. And so, you know, where it really was a problem with my coworkers was I'm really enthusiastic and I really am like task driven. I like to get things done. I'm really focused on, you know, cutting to the chase and how can we complete this task? And the problem is I'm not as worried about hurting feelings or it didn't even occur to me that I was hurting feelings when I was saying, well, this is the best way to do something because it worked for me. So I thought everyone else, you know, it would work for them too. And no, I mean, this is great information because um, when you get diagnosed later in life, the big question I think a lot of people would have is when you look back, not just the, you know, two and a half years ago, but when you look back into your childhood, like, have you talked to your parents about things in your childhood? Can you go back that far? What, yes. what would be some things? Yeah. So is there anything that maybe came up from those conversations? Oh my gosh. Um, so my therapist said that I grew up with a therapist and that therapist was my mom. So my mom didn't know I was autistic, but she uh, has always sort of been my personal accommodation. She would send me into the world and say, go make friends. Like we'd go to the you know park or something. And I would be like, mom, they don't want to talk to me. And she'd be like, that's fine. I'll talk to you. So my whole life, my mom has sort of been that person for me that she would push me outside my comfort zone, but also would be there for me when it didn't work out. And she didn't know what she was dealing with. She didn't know I had autism. But when I was a baby, um, I had a lot of sensory issues. So she would take me into the grocery store and I would start screaming. Like fluorescent lighting didn't work for me. I had a lot of stomach issues. I was colicky. When I was in elementary school, this is really sad, but I'll share this. I remember writing in my diary a list of things to change about myself that maybe if I changed them, people would like me. <laughs> which is so sad. Oh, I'm so sorry. I know. No, I mean, it's, you know, now I'm in the, I'm 32 now and I look back and I think on that kid as a teacher, you know, I want to go help that kid. I'm sure you feel that way as a doctor. You're like, oh, I, you don't have to feel that way, you know? Well, 
Yeah. No, continue. I'm so sorry. No, I, you know, I can go on and on, but uh, yeah. So there were a lot of moments like that in my life and in college, you know, I was in a sorority in college and I, I think about like, would I do that now if I could go back and, and I wouldn't, and you know, people were nice and I had a good enough time, but like, I sometimes mourn the life like, what would it have been like if I had known that I was different and I'd accepted it earlier? Like, what of my passions would I have chased that maybe weren't the norm, you know? And so I get a little sad about that sometimes. But I can say that being diagnosed is like the biggest relief of my life. It was such a relief. It just made me think like, yeah, you are different. You're not off base. Like, I, I really was different. And it's okay. You know, like, I, I feel like I embrace it more because... At first, I embraced it because it was like, well, I'm never going to be quote unquote normal. So in a way that kind of lifts, lifts something off your shoulders because I, I can't control it. You know, I, I'm not like everyone else. Now I look at it as a gift and like, you know, embracing who you really are is really a freeing thing that I wish I could go back in time and, and share with myself as a kid. But, but yeah, to answer your question in a very long winded way, I definitely can go back in time and see how it impacted my entire life. And I didn't even realize it. Well, I mean, it makes sense because it's an identity, right? I mean, now anytime we can identify with our identity, what, however yeah. we define identity, right? Whether that's um, having, you know, being autistic, whether that's um, your, sure. your ethnicity, your religion. I mean, these are all part of the things that make us who we are. And I can see that. I can see that if you have that sort of, in a way, di I know we have to use the word diagnosis, but it just makes it seem, hey, I... I am who I am. And this is, I love who I am. Right. And it's almost as if the world can say now, and especially the world now with, as we start to promote neurodiversity, yeah. right. And acceptance of autism, it's saying, Hey, I have autism and it makes me who I am. And I'm excited to be different. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like meeting my birth parents for the first time or something, you know? Oh, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Where you're like, Oh, this is where I come from. This makes sense. This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with non-toxic medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, diaper rashes, and other types of skin damage. I discovered Active Skin Repair and their baby spray from my community when our daughter was a newborn and had constant diaper rashes, and it really helped and continues to help. Containing hypochlorous acid, which is an effective option for helping with yeast diaper rash, we just spray or dab active skin repair onto the skin with a clean cloth or cotton ball. Let's sit for 15 seconds and then apply our balm or ointment of choice. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews, you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and to get 20% off your order using code PEDSDOC. That's P-E-D-S-D-O-C. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep No Mess meals. Chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno, lime cheddar chicken, and mushroom 
chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with Factor meals because they're ready in two minutes, no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious Factor meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 and use code peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code peedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. So I got very lucky along the way where when I met my therapist at 29, um, she had two adult autistic sons and that just happened to work out. Like I didn't know that when I saw her out, I just kind of found somebody that my insurance took, you know, and it, but I got very, very lucky. And she, um, I remember crying to her and I said, I think something's wrong with me. I don't know what it is. And by the way, at that point I had thought it was autism, but I was afraid to kind of say it out loud because I knew that it wasn't very commonly diagnosed in women. So I was like, could I be, I don't know. But I said to her, I'm afraid that I'm a narcissist and God bless her. Cause she kind of laughed, but in a way that was like, so friendly and welcoming, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. She was like, honey, if you were a narcissist, you wouldn't be worried that you're a narcissist. <laughs> you wouldn't know. And I bring that up because a lot of times people think people with autism, you know, don't have feelings, don't understand other people, don't have empathy. And it's almost like for me, I have too much. And I was worried all the time about once I realized I was hurting people's feelings, I felt terrible all the time. And I was overly worried about hurting people's feelings. And I was like, could I be a narcissist? Because I can't see outside myself. You know, that's what it kind of felt like. And it turns out, no, I'm not a narcissist. I'm just autistic. So it's like, I look at the world differently, but it was such an eye-opening moment. And I look back and kind of laugh at myself, you know, nicely. But I think like, God, I was really off when I said, are you a narcissist? But like, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's so freeing to see it differently now. And did it help in terms of at work once you had that diagnosis or with relationships with friends or your partner or anyone in your personal life? Yeah. So at the time I was engaged. So, you know, one of the, there are a lot of stereotypes about people with autism and autism isn't a linear spectrum. You know, we talk about it as a spectrum and we think of it as like the terms that are used autistic adults don't really like, and I'll say, I don't really like it either. And that's the high and low functioning. Um, It pitches people against each other. And the answer is the spectrum is not linear. You know, people have strengths and weaknesses and all different sorts of things. And so there's, it's not easy to, you can't label people in that way. But, you know, when I said to my husband, who's, he's now my husband, but I was engaged at the time, I said, do you still want to marry me? And which I feel so sad about now, but, and God bless him. He was like, uh, yeah, like you're still you. Like, I, I mean, you're autistic. Okay. But like you were autistic yesterday too. We just didn't know what to call it. (laughs) And I thought, right. I love you for you, regardless of what that is. I love you. And exactly. That's exactly it. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, he's so lovely. He was like, yeah, you're a little quirky, but you were quirky yesterday too. That's fine. So I say that though, because there's a lot of stereotypes of autistic people, you know, not having relationships and and it's just not true. And, you know, I, I do have close, I would say my circle is small in terms of my close friends, but I do have close friends from high school and college and, you know, work. And I think for those relationships and for my family, it just was a way to understand me more, you know, like the people who love me, love me before, but it was like, for some of them, like one of my high school friends was like, Oh yeah. Okay. A couple of things make more sense to me now, but like, whatever, you know, at the time when you got diagnosed, did you know anyone in your personal life that, um, that was autistic? 
I mean, I've worked with plenty of autistic kids, you know, as a teacher, but uh, no, I don't know any adult adults with autism. But you know, what's funny is since it's happened, sorry, let me go back to your question about work. And then I'll say that work got worse before it got better. It got worse because my coworkers who are wonderful people and, you know, it ultimately ended well. I think they were just a little confused because we were having conflicts and like I was coming across as bossy and, you know, cold and unfeeling. And then when I said I have autism, I think it's just a lot to like, you know, wrap your head around where it's like, I think that maybe they had seen me one way and then the autism diagnosis forced them to look at me a little differently. And so when I was diagnosed, I was really suffering with burnout. And that's a big thing in, with autism. Um, it can just be so hard. You know, I, I am an introvert, but also autistic. And that means that talking to people is exhausting sometimes. And teaching is a really social job anyway. So once I realized I was autistic, I gave myself permission to stop um, masking as much, if that makes sense. So I kind of, so to my coworkers, I think it seemed like maybe I was being mean when really I was like, I just need to take some time to myself. Like once I realized I, I just kind of stopped some of the niceties, even though I shared that I had this diagnosis, I think it was kind of hard because I was always like a small talk, like, how are you? Tell me about your weekend. And I just needed to step back from that for a little while. And then once I sort of gained my energy back, so to speak, the next school year, I was very like, okay, I'm autistic. Here's what I need. I need you to tell me if I'm hurting your feelings. And I promise you it's not on purpose. You know, I, I need X, Y, and Z in meetings to be my best. And, and once I put some accommodations in place for myself, and once we kind of set some boundaries for here's what I need and here's what I can do for you, it got a lot better. So I stepped back from my leadership positions. I said, you know what, I, I'm not good at this. <laughs> like, I'll help in the backgrounds, but like, I should, I should not be the one leading the meetings. And, and that was my own personal choice. So once I redrew some boundaries, things got a lot better with coworkers. That's great to hear. And it brings up that same thing that we're talking about, about neurodiversity and not trying to conform ourselves to fit quote unquote, what's normal right? Because what society has deemed as normal when that's not really, who is to say what's normal? You know, there's the terminology like neurotypical, neuroatypical, like neuro, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, you know, people ask often about the diagnosis of autism. Why are we seeing so much autism now compared to years past? And I think I explained to them that there may be a higher incidence. And I talk about it on another episode with the developmental behavioral pediatrician, everyone, but also the fact that we, when we look at our peers from when we were children, that you mentioned the word quirky, right? Your, your husband, I'm pretty sure there were children in my class that probably had traits of autism, but at that age, like 25 years ago, there wasn't as much interest in diagnosis and understanding as much as we know now. So maybe a lot of people went under the radar and didn't get diagnosed until later in life. So like kind of what you were saying, right? So I think we're forgetting that. Absolutely. And you know, what's funny now is it took me a while to kind of be open with my diagnosis. Um, you know, I didn't tell my extended family for a few years. Um, you know, I people that I was close with, and I, and I told my coworkers because I felt like it was important for me to fix those relationships because they were kind of ongoing. And I had a principal who was very supportive, and I recognize I have some privilege working in education where it, it's easier for me to be open about a diagnosis. You know, not every workspace is as friendly for that, so I have to acknowledge that as well. But it took me a little while. And I've recently, I think, told, I've like shouted it from the rooftops. And part of what happened is, you know, I have a daughter. And so I thought to myself, well, what if she's autistic? Do I want her to know that her mom is proud of who she is and has told everyone and is living authentically? And so that's sort of why I kind of shifted gears. And when I did that, I told my students. For a long time, I didn't tell students. And I'm kind of, you know, it's crazy because I 
was, I will always be an advocate for my neurodivergent students, for my students with ADHD, my students with autism, whatever. But I was like afraid to tell them that I was also neurodivergent. And I finally told them. And the best part about it is they were the most accepting, understanding, like cheerleaders of anyone that I told these teenagers. Like, they're like, oh, good for you. Like, that was literally their attitude. And that was it. You know, it was like, not a big deal. And I I love that, because I think things are changing. You know, I had a a student who was also neurodivergent who said to me, you know, you really inspired me. She's like, a lot of my teachers would kind of get down on me because of my ADHD qualities. And, you know, I would share with her my own struggles. And she was like, this is great. I love hearing this. And so I'm really hopeful that things are changing. And we're realizing that autism is not as rare as we thought it was. You know, people are different. So yeah, I mean, it makes me just so hopeful. I, you know, when I see parents who have their child and the child gets a diagnosis of autism and the parent themselves are not autistic, right? Those parents do go through a lot of emotions. And I think a lot of those emotions, you know, I was talking to actually a lot of my families in my office um, about it. And I think a lot of those emotions come from the fact that, again, society has not really told them much about autism and they have a lot of fear about, well, someone told me this, I see this. They don't see positive stories of neurodivergent people, right? So it's, it's really hard. They think of like, well, what am I going to do? I feel so isolated. And I, it's really, it's really important for us to hear what you're saying and that the fact that it is just a difference. And when with children, especially, you know, with the early intervention and services that we get, the outcomes can be very, very great for that child. So I, it, it's not, it's really important to remember that it's really hard for a lot of my families when I see them in the office, when they, you know, they get that diagnosis. Yeah. You know, I, I do want to acknowledge that there's a little bit of a tension between parents of children, or I should say parents of autistic children and autistic adults. And so I think with a parent, when they get an autism diagnosis, they're often mourning the life that they thought that their child would have. And I think about that because I'm a parent, you know, like, well, what if my daughter is autistic? So I really feel that in my gut. Like, and, and so I think a autistic adults look at that and kind of bristle against that because they say, well, we're doing fine. And the reality is, is that some of those early interventions, autistic adults aren't fans of. And, you know, I'm a teacher, so I really see kind of both sides to it. I think my biggest hope for parents with children who are autistic or autistic children is to do, obviously do what feels right to them and their family, but to consider that some of these kind of differences, it's about, I think, reframing these differences, these behaviors. You know, we often look at behaviors and say, well, they're, they deviate from the norm. So let's try to get them to the norm as close as possible. So our child can be as successful as possible. And I think, you know, it's dependent upon the behavior, obviously, but I think When we look at autism, you know, acceptance or autism awareness, what we're looking for is to broaden our view of what is appropriate, acceptable behavior, you know? And so that's my hope is that, sure, autistic people have needs and and do need different levels of support. And so I don't want to diminish that because, you know, maybe I need more or less support in certain areas than another person. So, you know, everyone's kind of, everyone's journey with autism is different. But again, if we can broaden what what is deemed acceptable, I think that's ultimately what we're all kind of looking for here. 
Absolutely. And, you know, to bring along those lines of the fact that you mentioned in terms of autistic adults and autistic children and the parents of them, like how there is some rift sometimes. Like, for example, April is Autism Awareness Month, but we talk about autism acceptance. And like I said, I take care of autistic children, but I have not really spoken to so many autistic adults. And I'm so grateful for the last few weeks that I've been able to do this. But I didn't know about this month and how triggering and upsetting it is for a large amount of the autistic adult community. Do you have a little background? I mean, I know you're not speaking for everyone, so I know that's not fair to say, but do you have a little background as to just briefly why that is? Sure. So I'm going to just share an anecdote about myself and then kind of give a brief thought about, you know, kind of what the community thinks, I think. But for me, I've thought before, if I could cure my autism, and I don't even know what that would look like, but I don't know, wake up one day and not be autistic, like, would I want that? And the answer is no, because it literally is who I am. It took a while for me to get here, but it is who I am. And I would think my friends and family would agree. So when you think of it that way, when you look at a month that's like autism, you know, acceptance, like that's the bare minimum, like you're going to accept that I exist. Like it, it just, you know, the connotation of that is is like a very low bar. Autism awareness is a nicer way of looking at it. Oh, sorry, I'm flipping that around. Yes, exactly. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. So awareness is a low bar. It's like, wow, you know, I exist. Acceptance is a higher bar, but I would argue still a pretty low bar. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, you know, you'll tolerate me is sort of what it also implies. So, you know, it is, it it is immensely triggering. And I, and you have an organization like Autism Speaks, which is a very controversial organization. Um, And so you have people that wear t-shirts that say, you know, autism awareness, and they have a puzzle piece on on them. That is very triggering because when you think of a puzzle piece, it's implying a deficit. It's implying something that needs to be solved or fixed. Um, it also can be pretty infantilizing. Um, autistic children grow up to be autistic adults. And I think that is really a missing uh, voice. So I do definitely appreciate you having me on, but it is a, it's a missing voice in this conversation. As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood explains. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota and I am your host for the podcast No One Told Us where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad. 
to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. So often, you know, autism awareness is driven by people who truly love their family members with autism. But I think it's just sort of a deficit. It's looking at it as a deficit. And so that can be very, it's triggering because it's who I am. And so it's like, well, do you have a problem with me? You know? Oh, this is really important. I really appreciate you because like I said, even having these conversations as a pediatrician, because I don't think, I hope a lot of medical professionals and pediatricians are listening to this because I talked about on my, you know, Instagram stories about the identity first, um, person first language. And I got so many corrections, right? Because in training, we talk about how, oh no, you're supposed to say person with autism. And I said, actually, actually I learned in the last few weeks and I I was right there with everyone. I had to, I struggled with that because that's what I was told for quite some time. But then I, you know, talked to you, I talked to other adults and I realized I was like, wow, I, I'm going to change this. And it's still, I mess up, right? Still, I say person with autism and I don't intend to, but I had a few conversations with some people were like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. And I'm like, well, we're learning, you know? And I guess, you know, it's something that I'm, I'm happy to learn because I think it's important that we um, can do that for, you know, acceptance and wanting to truly, um, like you said, accept and more um, our neurodiverse community. Yeah. And honestly, I've slipped up a few times too. Like I'm a teacher and in education, it's always people first language. And, you know, it's, and it's tricky because, you know, obviously the autism community is not a monolith. People have different opinions. And so there, there are autistic people who disagree, but in general, I would say the community, you know, prefers to say autistic adult or autistic person. And it's because you, you cannot divorce um, autism from who we are. I mean, it's, it, it impacts every single part of, of me. It's literally my brain. So it's just, it's just a little different. Right. And like the, the argument on the other side from the traditional sense, right. And I get it. I get why it's so confusing is that, Oh, but you say person with autism because that doesn't define them. And I get the why we're saying it the other way, because we're trying, we're owning this. Like, I mean, this is our identity. Like this is part of us. When you say person with autism, it's almost like you're trying to like prove to yourself that we're people like, like we know we're people. We don't need to be reminded. It really is serving the person who's saying it. <laughs> no, that makes sense. I, I really appreciate that. And now I wanted to talk about um, other misconceptions. You had mentioned about like empathy, right? That people feel like sometimes that's a misconception. Just briefly, what would you say off the top of your head are other misconceptions that um, you feel like you encounter in your, with your coworkers or just in society about um, adults with autism? Or, or See, I did it. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. See, no, don't uh, worry. Autistic adults. It's okay. see, I, this is a case in point, everyone. So uh, with, uh, with artistic adults. And you know what one of the cool things about being autistic is, is that in general, we're really like, we're pretty chill about people who are honest about making mistakes. Like we really like, um, we really like honesty and you know, you're trying. And so I, I don't, it certainly doesn't offend me. And I, I think I can say that, you know, making mistakes happens along the way when you're trying to change how you look at something. And as long as you're trying, it's cool. So it's tricky. I, I think speaking as a woman with autism, a really big misconception is that women aren't autistic. And in particular, a woman with a husband and a daughter and a job and friends, you know, I've had so many people say, well, you can't be autistic. And it really is deeply upsetting because, okay, I'm not sharing every individual struggle with you today. Like I'm not telling you how, you know, I changed shirts five times because I didn't like the way it felt, or I had to eat something different, or, you know, I had to take my medication or I had to go to therapy. Like I'm not sharing every 
struggle with you. And it doesn't mean that I'm any less autistic, you know, and honestly, I've had it with um, doctors as well. You know, I've had it with my doctors where I say, Oh, by the way, I'm autistic. And they're like, what? How can that be? You know, so people are dismissing your, your, like your diagnosis. Wow. Oh yeah. That's, that's exactly the problem. I mean, obviously thinking about it as an identity piece. I mean, that's just like saying, Oh no, you're not who you think you are. It's like, excuse me. I know who I am. (laughs) Right. That's, that's hurtful. Wow. I, yeah, that, thank you. That's good to know. Yeah. It's a big one. And it's, you know, I've, yeah. I've worked very hard to mask my entire life. And I still kind of turn oh. it on in situations where I think I'm not going to be believed because it's just easier to lie than it is to say no, like I'm autistic. I, I need a I need different accommodations, you know? Yeah. So this is so great. I, I really appreciate you talking about this. What can we do this month and beyond, right? Because I, I agree with you. I don't like, regardless of autism awareness, any awareness month in general, sure. our awareness day really rubs me the wrong way. I just, I've never liked it. I, and my son had a stroke and there's an infant stroke mm. awareness day. I'm like, what the heck is this? It just puts us in a minority, right? Like when you have an awareness day, that means you're a minority. And right. I'm going to be very frank. There is no white man awareness day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, because no, there's because not. <laughs> they're not a minority, right? I mean, let's be honest, no. right? So it, it, it hurts a little bit in a way, right? Because you're like, well, I like us empowering this identity and this group of people for whatever day, but I agree with you in a way it's like, well, no, no, no. Like what can we do long-term? So I know, again, you're not speaking for everyone in the autistic community, but what are some ways that neurotypical people can really make a change here? Like what can we do um, to really help promote diversity in this situation? So I think there are kind of two pieces. One, in my opinion, would be to spend some time kind of reading about the autistic community. Um, There's an organization called the Autism Self-Advocacy Network, ASAN, and that's a website that's pretty easy to find. And it's run by autistic adults, and it talks about autism, and it talks about, um, there's just tons of resources. Um, It's a website that I actually spent a lot of time on when I was first diagnosed, and it spoke to me the most. and it helped me understand myself. And it's about self-advocacy versus Autism Speaks that is a lot less about self-advocacy. Um, and the ASAN organization is actually run by autistic people. So that that's important to me. The other thing that I would recommend, and this one I have a caveat to, but um, on social media, there is a hashtag actually autistic. And that hashtag is autistic people speaking about their experiences. So the caveat I have is that is more of a place to read than to insert yourself into. Oftentimes we see um, on social media that people, you know, sometimes well-meaning people will correct an autistic person about the people first language, for example, like you say. And that's not the purpose, but especially this month, a lot of awesome people are sharing their experiences on that hashtag, um, on Twitter in particular. And then my other piece of advice or thought for a neurotypical person is if you find yourself around an individual that you find to be quote unquote quirky or strange or different from you, if your first kind of reaction is to make fun of them, to crack a joke at their expense, consider first that that person might be neurodivergent. Um, I've been in meetings with students where I've seen, you know, other teachers get angry with a student is doodling in a meeting and that's their coping skill. That's how they kind of get through whatever the day. And it doesn't mean that they're not listening, but maybe that's seen as like a, a strange behavior. Like, oh, well, we don't like doodling. Like we want to teach them to not doodle. That's just what they need to do to get through the day. And that there are adults that do that too. And doodling is just kind of a small example. But if somebody is doing something that 
you find strange, they might be neurodivergent. Um, And so the way to really be an advocate is to kind of check yourself and say, okay, they're different than me, but is that a bad thing? Like, are they hurting me? Is this a problem? So to be an advocate is to consider that. And, you know, in education, there were times when I would see people wearing, you know, the puzzle piece autism awareness shirt. And then I would be annoying in a meeting and I would be really excited about something. And, you know, I talk really quickly when I get excited and I'm very enthusiastic about my special interests. And so, you know, if you're rolling your eyes at my enthusiasm, but you're wearing an autism awareness shirt, you know, wow. Mm-hmm. It consider that maybe these traits are just wow. neurodivergent. Wow. The hypocrisy of it all just is very, very palpable. <laughs> well, I choose to believe that that person didn't know, but I think, you know, I think it's aut- autistic adults exist. Autistic children grow up into adults. And so I think that's just if, like, that's my number one takeaway here, I think. Oh, Lori, this was so helpful. And, you know, I know we spoke a lot before this episode and I can't Thank you enough. And I know that we said this already a few times that I know you cannot speak for every autistic adult. And I'm very clear about that. And I even speak about that on my YouTube video that even though we talk about traits and characteristics, every child, every adult, every autistic child and every autistic adult is so different. And like all of us, like, I mean, you can't put anyone in a box. You can't say, well, you're this and that. So it's so important, but I, it does help. And I, and I really appreciate your perspective and, um, you know, talking with me and teaching me, right? I learned so much from you this week and it's really helped me already with a lot of my autistic children in my office. Thank you. I mean, I I just think it's so great that you're doing this and I think it's great that you are willing to kind of re-navigate, re-evaluate your um, views on this or what you thought you knew. And that's such a valuable characteristic. I really appreciate it. Everyone else, Make sure you listen to the other episodes. Like I said, my hope was to build um, different perspectives. Of course, I can't get every single perspective, but I'm sure throughout the, the course of this podcast, I'm going to have more and more adults on. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. As always, please leave a review. Share this episode with a friend. Share it on your social media. Make sure to follow me at PedsDocTalk on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel, TV. We'll talk to you soon. You made it halfway through an episode, so you must be loving the show. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel where I share answers to all of the common topics submitted to me regarding child health, development, and debunking all that misinformation you hear online. My goal is for PDT to be a one-stop shop for your searching needs. Bye-bye late night Googling. So make sure to go to YouTube and search Peds Doc Talk TV. Hit that subscribe button and binge watch all the amazing episodes and episodes to come. Have suggestions for future videos? Make sure to chat in the community section on my YouTube channel.